coaches of the world. Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I'm Joel and this is podcast number 23. And this podcast is all about what does it take to be an extraordinary coach. I'm going to be speaking with master coaches and experts on that topic each podcast. Today I'm going to be talking with Alan Seeler who is an ontological coach and the author of a trilogy of really great books um, all about coaching to the human soul. He's also the founder of the Newfield Institute in Australia, which provides coaching and consulting services. Today, we're going to focus on how Alan helps his clients overcome negative self-assessments. These are often lurking in the background unconsciously with our clients. And it's really important that we're able to kind of surface them in a compassionate way because they are the, often the thing that really stops our clients making tangible progress around the things that are most important to them. So Alan will share with us, how does he help them to see those negative self-assessments? What kind of questions does he ask? And then what kind of practices does he give them to help them embody a new, more empowered way of being? We spend the first seven or eight minutes of this podcast exploring what ontological coaching is, how it's important to work with our clients' way of being, and the role of language in transformation. And then we dive into this this work around overcoming negative self-assessments. If you want to find more podcasts like this one, you can head to coachesrising.com forward slash podcasts. There you'll also find a share button. I'd love if you feel inspired, if you could share this podcast because I want as many coaches to know about this series as possible. And if you are not signed up, you can kind of sign up, you can put your name and email in the sign up box that you see there and you'll stay in the loop about upcoming podcasts as they're released. Let's dive in. So yeah, we're going to dive in today to ontological coaching and you've got three books that uh, I've got on my shelf and in particular I've been reading volume one of coaching to the human soul so I'd love to dive into some of the ideas in that book today and you know in particular maybe we can explore this idea of negative self-assessments because I think that's really important in coaching you know when we're coaching people that we often are encountering these assessments so but let's start at the beginning and and um, you know, you're an ontological coach. Maybe you could say what ontological coaching is briefly, and we'll we'll dive into the details and the, the how-to soon. Yes, yeah. Well, of course, ontological or ontology is not sort of an everyday word for many people. But certainly if you go to a dictionary, one of the things you'll see, it's the study of being. Um, or another uh, description is the study of the nature of existence and particularly we focus on the nature of human existence and the nature of being. And, and the idea is that the being we are, how we are as a being is, is very influential in driving our behavior and the effectiveness of that behavior. And um, in particularly with ontological coaching, we, we focus on what we call way of being. Um, and this is where we, we pitch our coaching efforts to, and we see way of being sort of the underlying driver of, of our behaviour and communication. And it's, it's where our perceptions and attitudes live, uh, many of which are deep-seated and out of awareness and, and could quite inadvertently be getting in someone's way. Even though their intentions are good and their desires are really strong, 
they're not making the progress they'd like to. So, um, so that's ontology and, and ontological coaching and um, way of being. We uh, the, the framework for way of being or, or the model is that to be human is to exist simultaneously in three different spheres of existence. Uh, one of these is language. The other is emotions and the, the other one is body or physiology. And, and all three, they function as a coherent whole. And if people are going to change, then all three of those, uh, it's crucial that they change if the change is going to be going to be deep change and if it's going to uh, endure for people. Mm. Nice. So I, I love that you have this term way of being because it's been such a part of my lexicon in coaching for so long. And, you know, I, I, to see that, I think it's such an essential idea that, that we know about as coaches, you know, that, that we have this way of being that we've perhaps adopted since we were children and that it may or may not be supporting us in the things that we most, that are most important to us in our lives. So um, exactly, yeah. maybe you could say something about soul as well, because you, you know, your book's called coaching to the human soul. What is soul to you? Yeah. Well, it's because uh, there's various interpretations, but the one that I, I work with is that the soul is the seed of deep meaning for us. And I think such a crucial part of being human. I, I can't remember the philosopher who said it, whether it was Immanuel Kant or someone else said, to be human is to, is to be condemned to meaning because I think of the complexity of our species through language, which we'll look at in a little while. Language plays such a huge role in the meaning that we live from or the meaning we desire. And whenever we're stuck in life or things aren't going the way we want to, the meaning we're living from isn't working for us. And so to, to make a substantial change and I think to live, to help people move towards living what we might call a, a life of deep meaning and fulfilment and purpose, uh, we say that's, that's the area of the soul, finding that deep meaning within each of us that's going to give us a sense of purpose and direction and fulfilment in life. Mm. Let's zoom in on, um, because you said there's language, emotions, and physiology of the body, and how actually, you know, if we're going to help our coaches uh, change, that we need to include all three of those domains. And I'd like to focus in on language today. Let's start a bit broad and then zoom in. How do ontological coaches view language? I think the key thing is we, we don't see language as a thing. We see it as a process. It's an integral process of being human. And by process, I mean it's a process that, to put a double negative, we can't not live in. Like to be human is, is to live in language. And it's a process that continually generates reality. So the world that each of us lives in is our world of reality. And the way we are in language, in our, in our thinking, the way we listen to people, the way we speak, the way we write, that we're all, without realising it, we're continually generating what's real for us. And to be able to be close observers of our language, in particular the ways that we generate reality, can literally be liberating for people to, to, to discover that the language they've been using, in effect, has been acting as a prison or limiting them in, in significant ways. And to find ways of using language differently can be fantastic to be part of with people. Uh, one of which you've you've mentioned is the you know what we call the core negative self assessments. Our education and training system 
hasn't hasn't supported us to be close observers of our language and how we generate our own reality. And so in the ontological approach, part of it is sharing distinctions with people, which of course is language itself, using language to be able to observe the the coachee to be able to observe their world of language. A client of mine was uh, having a not a very good working relationship um, with a team leader. She was, she was the team leader's manager. She was the manager of the team leader. And she was describing dealing with him as a battle. And, and that actually became like the pivotal point of the conversation because I drew her attention to it and she was, you know, partially oblivious. You know, she wasn't aware she'd used battle, but she realised she had. And when we explored what might be another word that could support her, she, she wanted to try challenge. And basically what we work with is what way of being did she have when she was viewing this, dealing with this guy as a battle, and what way of being was available to her dealing with him as a challenge. And she was able to significantly improve the relationship, and his, his team was very much underperforming, and that improved the relationship immediately led to an improvement in the team's performance. Perhaps you could share with us how you work with your clients and these negative core self-assessments to transform them. Anytime you hear anyone talk about something like lack of self-confidence or low self-esteem or self-doubt, I've not found an exception to there being one or more quite substantial negative self-assessments happening with them. Which, which they don't realise, of course, is happening. And again, without realising it, they've been treating these, these negative self-assessments as though they were facts, mm. but it's all completely out of awareness. So one guy I was, I was working with, he, he was, this is a telecommunications company, and the organisation um, went uh, public. They got listed on the stock exchange and they wanted to create a greater position of a chief operating officer. And this particular person in the company had been very successful in turning around underperforming divisions. He was very thorough, very diligent, highly respected. And the board said, look, we'd love you to take this new position. And mm-hmm. he hesitated. He said, look, I don't think I'm ready. You know, I haven't got the confidence. And so they, they said, well, would you, you know, they offered him coaching. And, it, and that's how I came to work with him. And he didn't realize he had two of what I call like the biggies, of the negative self-assessments, which is um, I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy. And he'd spent a lot of his working life compensating for this without realising it because he would work back, he'd work long hours. He would he would sort of cover every base, dot every I, cross every T, you know, a hundred times over to make sure that no one could find fault with him. And and he was ama- he agreed. I um, mean, I... I could hear what he was saying and I was asking him questions about his approach to work and he shared that he didn't have the confidence for the job. And um, I asked him, I said, fundamentally, what, what sort of opinion do you have about yourself as a person? You know, and he said, oh, well, I think I'm a pretty decent person, a loyal person. I try to be a good father. But he said, I've got some doubts about myself. And that led us into looking him discovering these these two negative self-assessments and um the basic process is you can help people redesign their languaging because these self-assessments work as a quite a deep background script and so you work with the client to say well if you're going to have a more 
constructive script that would support you, what would you want to be saying to yourself about yourself? So he came up with I'm worthy, but he didn't feel comfortable to say I'm, I'm competent. And he couldn't think of anything, so I got his permission to offer something and I said, what would it be like if you said, I'm a learner? He thought about it and he, he liked that. He said, I like that. So his script was, I am worthy and I'm a learner. And that's all well and good, but at the moment we're only in the language territory. He can, he can find the script appealing but until it lives in his emotions and body, um, and in a sense it gets every into every fibre of his being, he's not going to make that shift. So basically you invite um, the person to stand up and to speak the new script and get them to self-observe their voice tonality, which is indicative of their emotions, mm. and also what they notice about their physiology, if they feel solid, and just keep inviting them to reworking it and, and self-adjusting, and then after a while, when they've run out of ideas, um, get their permission to offer your thoughts. So we went through it about 12 times, and finally he got it. And at the end of the coaching, you know, I just was checking in, you know, how he was and how it had been for him and what he was going to do with what we'd covered today in, in the session. And he said, he just looked at me, and he said, I want the job. He said, I'm going to tell him tomorrow. So, you know... I mean, the beautiful thing with coaching, as I'm sure you and most of the listeners would realise, is that the answers, most of the answers is already within the client. And what we want to do in ontological coaching is provide some pointers to people about how you can observe your own way of being and, and find ways with the support of the coach to make your own discoveries about shifts you're capable of making. Yeah, so I, I love hearing about this. I think it's really worth unpacking this a little bit more. Let's let's stretch it out. So basically, you've helped this this man to uncover his core negative assessment, and then then begin to create a new script, and then to begin to not only just say the script as a nice concept or idea, but begin to kind of ground it into his physiology and his his emotions so that it becomes um, more of a lasting trait. It creates a, creates a new possibility for him. I'm getting that sense, yeah? Very much, very much, yeah. There's an important piece before getting to that that I didn't mention. We have a process that's formally called grounding assessments. In everyday language, it would be substantiating opinions, but it's a way you can work with clients when they have these negative, let's say, core beliefs or self-assessments um, is there any substance to them? Um, and probably 95, 96% of the time there's not. But you take them through a process so you see that there's absolutely no substance to it and they can see how they've been treating it as a fact about themselves without realising it as a way of sort of, of heightening, um, let's say, the, um, the unhelpfulness of the language they've been living from and and sort of wanting to orient them towards, well, you know, wouldn't it be more appealing to find some, some script that would work better for you? Let's move through that process. So what would you say to coaches listening? How can they begin to, to find the core negative self-assessment? Well, I think the whole area of, of self-doubt is a really crucial one. And I'm not sure about yourself and other people, but there's a lot of, a lot of leaders I've worked with male leaders in particular, who have carried a lot of self-doubt for many years but have just 
quite out of their own awareness, spend a lot of time covering that up. Um, mm. And, um, you know, it can take courage on their part to allow themselves to reveal to themselves that they don't feel, you know, 100% good about themselves. So I think the whole, the whole area of self-doubt is really crucial. And another area I think where people can, uh, and this is certainly part of my journey, trip myself up is um, this notion of like what, what you've got to do to deserve success. You know, often there's a, a background mantra, like you have to work hard and expect to suffer uh, before you can have success. For some people, even, even sitting there would be, I don't know if I fully deserve it, uh, which I'd associate with, with a form of self-doubt. And then the other area that I think is important is, um, you know, unfortunately, many people have come through the school system and um, I used to be a teacher, so I'm quite happy saying this, not, not being fully supported as learners and coming out of the school system with quite significant doubts about themselves as learners. So I think the whole notion of like just someone being able to realise, look, you are a legitimate learner. The way you learn is legitimate. It's got you this far. You can expand how you learn, um, but there's no, there's no reason for you to doubt your capacity as a learner because these are all very easily hidden from people and they're not the sorts of things we would like to go around and talk to people about about ourselves. And what, one of the things I liked in your book was you said that you can begin to ask the, the question, what does that mean about you? You know, once you start yeah. to kick, and then you can ask that repeatedly to kind of get underneath right to this core. Yes. Yeah, like if someone says, oh, like I'll, I never get it right, you know, I'm stupid. You know, you could say, look, if I, you know, we're very big on making sure we've got permission a lot of the time to ask questions and say, look, I'd like to explore a little deeper if that's okay. Um, when you say you're stupid and, and you won't get it, what, what does that mean about you? And um, that question is, is a way of seeing, seeing what's underneath the initial assessment and then what's underneath the next assessment to see, to see how far you can go down to hitting what we might call like a bedrock of a, a very strong core negative self-assessment. And, and then when you get to that place, you, I guess you can feel it. Yeah. I guess you, you kind of know because maybe there's a shift in their, in their state in that moment, you know, that they may touch into something that's quite um, moving oh, yeah. for them in a sense. It is, it is, and it, and, it, and it can be scary for people too. And I, th- I think as a coach, it's real important to share, I forget the word, in, I think the word in counselling is called normalising the situation. Um, but I'm very happy to share with people I lived for a long time in my life with the view that I'm not good enough. And it's this sense of like, you know, you're not the only one on the planet. You know, there, there are many other people that share these negative ways of viewing themselves. Mm. as a way of normalizing them and, and in, encouraging and supporting the person to be able to explore further. How, how important do you think it is to allow people to get to that, that kind of time to just feel it? Rather, it because you said, and I'd love to ask you how you do this, you can ground um, an assessment and, and therefore often in fact people find out it's not really that true, but I guess in, for, you, know, you can't rush into that. First, it's good to let people just feel it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think being prepared to hold the silence, allow the space for the coachee to, to think, to reflect, to speak, and and just to say to someone, look, how are you going with that? I know it's maybe not the most pleasant discovery to have made, but how are you with that? Mm-hmm. Um, 
otherwise we just get into being quite technical about our coaching and we miss the whole relational you know side and being sensitive to what people could be going through because this it can be quite quite significant for people if they make this discovery that's this there's been this way of being sitting there with them for so long in their life and they had no awareness of it i mean sometimes it can be very very exciting and liberating as well for people do you find that once people see that negative assessment they automatically begin to let go of it or do you find that then you then there's a need to kind of say you know maybe you said like you said grounding this uh, the assessment so that maybe they, they see it's not as true as they thought it was yeah it's i think it's part of the process yeah it's, it's a pretty rigorous set of five questions to work through people which really invites them to engage in in some reflection about different aspects of their being but eventually coming to the potential conclusion about this actually isn't me. I Mm. thought it was me, but it's not me. And so it's the start of an opening about, okay, well, this doesn't have to be you. So there can be a different, different you in relation to this. Would you be willing to share those five questions now with us briefly? The first questions are not very user friendly. I'll give you the clinical version. Okay, Um, It's called for the sake of what? And it's basically saying, what purpose is served for you by having this negative assessment? How does this negative assessment take care of you? And I, what I encourage people is listen to the first answer that comes into your head. Because uh, often it's your intuition giving you an answer straight away. Uh, and if people say, I don't know, that's very significant because you know, right off the bat, well, there's no purpose. There's no purpose to the assessment. The rest of the questions move into the area of specificity because what happens in the way that we form our self-assessments, I think, is we have a number of experiences and then we generalise from them and we live the generalisation as though it's a a fact about us. And so the second question is asking, in which particular areas of your life is this assessment relevant? And this can be very important for people because they might realise out of maybe, let's say, nine or 10 different areas of their life, it's relevant in three areas, but not in seven others. Um, So that can be quite enlightening for people. Mm. Sometimes for people, they'll say it's right across the board, every area of my life. The third question, and this can be quite an elusive one for people, relates to to the issue of standards. And every judgment, every assessment, every opinion, every belief we have, is always a comparison to some standards. It's very easy not to be aware of the standards you're coming from or you're comparing yourself to. And so that, that can be a very interesting exploration. And then the last two questions look for what facts support your assessment. What, what can you point to that's actually happened that indicates that, you know, you are this whatever, negative, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, etc. And then you look for the opposite. What facts do not support your assessment that you're not worthy? You know, when I say ground for the opposite, what facts support that you are worthy? So it's quite an extensive investigation with people. Mm. Um, and it's it, the purpose is to really provide a, a questioning context for them to begin to uncover for themselves mm. and begin to self question almost like self-doubt their own self-doubt yeah. 
presumably then you need to be you know with them because they say what facts you said what facts support this assessment Mm. you know maybe they then start conflating interpretations and assessments with facts again and then you have to be quite um, rigorous as a coach here to to catch them out on that yeah yeah the the golden rule is you don't ground assessments through assessments right Uh, yeah you know, so, I'm, not, I'm not worthy because this teacher called me stupid when I was 14. Right. Um, well, the fact is the teacher called you stupid, but that doesn't link with you being stupid. That's someone else's opinion. Mm-hmm. So um, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I wanted to kind of move on and, you know, this example you gave of this guy. So, so then, you know, he's now seen this assessment and he's kind of questioning the validity of it and perhaps feeling an opening or a sense of, possibility and then you say to him what kind of core assessment would you think would empower you in this situation yeah what what would work better for you if you weren't to have this these two negative judgments what would be more helpful ones um and then you know you 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 invite the coachee to come up with their own languaging and if they're struggling get their permission to offer your thoughts which which may or may not connect you might have to fumble around a bit for a while until you find something or you mightn't quite get there at the start you work with with something that looks solid to them but it's not quite complete because it may be later on they get a new realization about what else they'd like to have there as well so it's like it's like work in progress you're shaping it and allowing it to to gain in clarity and it's this is a bit like a declaration in a sense uh, basically, what you're asking someone to do is is to speak an assessment from from the authority of their being. And as I say to people, you don't need the world's permission to declare your legitimacy. Okay, you are you are telling the world, you're announcing to the world. So it's an invitation. Take your own authority, because no one else is going to give it to you. Take your own authority and announce this to the world, as if you're announcing it to the world. And in doing so, of course, you'll be announcing it to yourself. Yeah. I think that's really key, though, yeah? Like, this is a significant moment when we are taking those assessments that we took on from the outside world, in a sense, you know, that we, we, we mistook as being the truth. And now we are authoring our own kind of assessments or our own – we're declaring who we are from an, yeah. from an internal point, which I think is – one of the major contributions that coaching can make to people. So an interesting thing to consider here is this creative potential we have, or this, this capacity as human beings to, to live into possibility, Yeah. you know, by making this declaration, I think it's significant. And of course, um, I think what's important here is that declaration needs to be tied to, to who we are authentically and, and what is most important to us. If I declare that I'm going to be, you know, an NBA star, all-star basketball player, it would feel like a, a false declaration. But there's something really significant about our capacity as human beings to reinvent our future. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the philosopher Martin Heidegger, this beautiful expression, our potentiality for being. And I think it was Nietzsche who said, become who you are, which is the territory that we're in. So definitely, there's a couple of other points as well, Joel, I think, in working with clients in the way we've been 
talking about, it's it's not just they're going to have one session and everything's all going to be hunky-dory and, you know, the magic wand's been waved. Often it's really crucial for them to go away and consolidate that through what we, we call committed practice. And I'll often encourage people, stand in front of a mirror and eyeball yourself and say the new script because you're the only one you've got to convince. Or, or put your video on and, and listen to your voice and watch yourself, you know, through your iPad or or phone or whatever, because does that seem like it's really convincing when you have that outside perspective of yourself? And then there's some other other questions that I think are really crucial because we all exist in a sort of a social, cultural context. And if we change, uh, it potentially it has an effect on others or others notice. And, you know, we're all part of little social systems and social systems are often inherently conservative. They like the status quo. So I think questions to ask people if, if they've developed a new script and it's really solid and they feel good about it and this is what, where they want to live from is to ask them, do you fully and genuinely give yourself permission to live from this way of believing in yourself? And what's crucial is that you get from them an unequivocal yes. As soon as there's any hesitancy or they say yes with an upward inflection, um, that's really crucial to explore. And sometimes sometimes even to say, is there anyone whose permission you think you need to live from this way of thinking about yourself? If they say yes, then that's important to explore too. But ultimately we want them to be, you know, create their own self-authoring process in this. And, and so what I hear by both those areas, like one by like, you know, the practice of saying it to yourself in the mirror or recording it or, you know, asking them, are you fully committed to living from this place? It's, it's then inviting them into how can they, how can this land and, and kind of come from the inside out so that they're in alignment with this new declaration. And I guess probably yeah. that's the practice here that, you know, we said that change, or you said at the start, that it's not just in the linguistic realm, but in the emotions and physiology. Presumably, yeah. there's a kind of process of, of metabolizing all the ways they, have, they don't inhabit that declaration fully. Yeah, very much, and very much. And I think um, it's catching yourself in the moment, because, you know, with all the best intentions and all the practice, in the heat of the moment, we might somehow find we've, we've fallen into self-doubt and we realise it at the, in the moment, but we can't actually, we're not quick enough to do anything about it. What I say to people is, well, that's not what you want. It's a significant step forward because now you're noticing what you're doing, whereas previously you didn't. And over time, people, once they start to notice that, um, I say, you know, there's no need to rush this, you know, because often people think, oh, I want to be like that, you know, really soon. And it takes time. It takes time for their body to integrate this, uh, for it to become, you know, as we'll look at later on, um, if we have another conversation in the essential biological processes that are taking place. It's got to, it's got to take place in the structure of their nervous system. And that's new neurons connecting and them getting consolidated over time through experience so often people the, the risk is they can fall back to being harshly self-critical because they haven't mastered what they learned in the coaching immediately you know in, in, in a world where we're all supposed to be 
highly successful and fast learners and not look like idiots, uh, you know, <laughs> it can be very self-defeating. So, but then what I like about it, this whole process is that, you know, then the, the, it can be a kind of anchor point for the coaching uh, program that you're in with someone, helping them to move through that journey of, of like inhabiting that, that declaration, that, that positive declaration or self-assessment. I, lo- I mean, I love that question you gave where, where you said, you know, are you, do you feel fully committed to, to living yeah, from you, this, you know? Yeah, the, the wording's very important. Yeah, how would you say it again, yeah. Do you fully and genuinely give yourself permission to live from this way of thinking about yourself from now on? It's a bit like the wedding vows, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, take this, you take this man to heaven, behold, forever and ever type of thing. But it's so rich because that, that kind of commitment is where the rubber meets the road, yeah? Because it's going to yeah. surface any little doubts or niggles uh, that, that that come up in response to that yeah yeah and such a crucial part of the learning is in the emotions and the physiology mm. of that different way of being even though we're in language it's a package deal emotions and physiology are happening with language all the time let me um we, we, as we come in towards the end of our um time together i really it's been a rich conversation um let me ask some like different kind of questions a couple of different questions um what for you most excites you in your learning right now as a as a master coach you know um like what what's the 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 topic or the the thing that that brings you most energy right now well i've just finished the draft of the fourth book and um the focus is that on sort of developing professional artistry in ontological coaching so, you know, to me, doesn't not not necessarily ontological coaching only, but coaching does well. That that works well for the client, and it's almost seamless. And it can be like watching a, an artist at work. And I think you know we're not going to achieve that with every conversation necessarily. But it, it, wouldn't it be lovely to think about coaching as a form of artistry? Um, and how we how we could become more effective and more graceful and more elegant as we as we advance our coaching. What, what's the key to that for you? I mean, that's a trick question because I imagine there's no one key. But what if you if I was to make you say what the key to that artistry is? What would you say? Oh, I think it's very much in the coach's way of being. I think the like the emotions and the moods that they coach from. Um, their physiology, uh, and I, th- I think a really key part of it is is being able to um, skillfully u- utilize your intuition, uh, which is not it's not instinct. Intuition is based on experience, and it's being able to uh, discern quite subtle patterns that that only come from coaching, you know, um, over a sort of fairly lengthy period of time. Lots of coaching experiences. It's not so much having a not so much the quantity of experiences as it's the learning learning the coach has gradually accumulated with every experience that mm. helps them make more refined distinctions in the way that they observed uh, observe other the client's way of being. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I love that idea. This idea of like the coach as an instrument and that they can refine their faculties. You know, their sensitivity and their 
perception and and like some of this only comes through that kind of coming back again and again to mm. to to these moments you know of of uh transformation or of of being with somebody in these intimate yeah. conversations mm. i have one last question then which is what book would you recommend to coaches to read and why apart from my own books of course <laughs> <laughs> um i'm thinking um this, this is one of the biologists that's informed this work. There's a book he's, he was interviewed uh, by someone. It's called From Being to Doing. Now, it's not a book specifically about coaching, but it's, it's a book about being human from a biological perspective. I think it's a very interesting read. It's a, it's a bit of a stretch with some of the ideas. But, yeah, I, I would, that's, that's the first book that comes to mind. I, I like, uh, I think it's important that coaches read books that are, that influence them, but are outside the domain of coaching. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the ways we can really invigorate uh, our learning and, and create this synergy, this synergistic kind of approach to, to, to what transformation is and not get too encapsulated. You know what I mean? Like I used to be a, a drum and bass DJ and uh, one, at one point drum and bass was influenced by all this stuff from outside of its own music and then right. it became really insular and then it kind of died a death because it mm. didn't look outside of itself so do you remember the name of the author of that book I, i'll probably be able it's, to find it yeah it's uh so bernard perkson yeah. so p-e-r-k-s-o-n and the biologist he interviewed who's also the co-author is humberto maturana Okay. Yeah. Cool. He's quite a famous dude. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hey, well, um, this feels like a great place to bring our conversation to a close. And um, I'm, uh, I want to speak again. I want to read your other two books and we can talk about those too, but I just want to say thank you. I've really enjoyed this and uh, you know, it's been a rich, rich conversation. Where can we find out more about your work? Uh, There's a couple of websites. There's um, I've got a website for Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. And if people just go to Newfield, N-E-W-F-I-E-L-D, Newfield Institute. Um, and then the courses I run outside of Australia are called uh, under the website Ontological Coaching Institute. Mm-hmm. So there's courses there in Hong Kong, South Africa, uh, Europe, UK and the USA. Nice. All right. Hey, well, and I love that we've done this interview with you sat in your car. That's, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Along the beautiful, beautiful Australian coast. Hey, Alan, thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, it's been wonderful, Joel. Thank, thanks very much for the opportunity. Hi, it's Joel here again. Just a quick one to say, if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you'd be willing to share it with other coaches. You can do that by heading to coachesrising.com forward slash podcast and you'll find a share button on there. That's it for now. If you want to reach out with any comments or ideas about people you want me to speak to, coaches who are doing amazing work out there in the world, then then you can reach out to us at info at coachesrising.com. Mm-hmm.